1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper of more.com and CC1consulting.com, and I'm delighted to be back with you again for yet another week. Um, before we move on to today's show, I'd like to say, um, as I always do, a big thank you to my, my guest. And my guest last week was Tanya Mann Rennick, who shared her star principle and what a story. I mean, if you want to hear a real kind of adversity to success story. Do listen to that. Tanya went in three years from being a housewife with three children to speaking in the European Parliament, visiting 10 Downing Street and setting up the Oyster Club, which is a very successful networking market dinner type of club in London. But today I want to talk about family business. And I'd like to introduce you to somebody, the managing director of a company that I've worked with for seven or eight years now. Uh, a company that I'm very, very fond of, a family business with a tremendous set of values who very much care for their employees, their customers and their stakeholders. I also happen to think that uh, Stephen, I'm going to embarrass him now, but I think he's one of the most emotionally intelligent leaders that I know. Um, he's He's a man who loves his work. He really is following his passion. He loves his family. He cares about his community and about the environment. And He's somebody that is really following through with what he loves and making a big difference. Because setting up and effectively running a family business is not always easy. Neither is running an established business to support the growth of a very successful family business legacy. So, during the show, we're going to explore what it takes to run a successful family business. Stephen Gould is the managing director of Everard's Brewery Limited. They're a business with 110 and 80 tenanted pubs. In America, you might call them bars. Now, here we call them pubs, public houses, and its own branded brewery and a large property portfolio. For the past eight years, Stephen has steered the business to winning a coveted national pub group of the year industry award four times. However, many of his pub tenants are also family businesses, with Everard supporting them to develop and grow. The better their tenants perform, the better Everard's return from their investment. It's a real true win-win. Wanting to host a show on how to run family businesses, Stephen immediately came to mind. So a bit about Everard's, Um, Everard's Brewery Limited was established in 1849, it was founded by William Everard, and in 2013 Everard's is still a proud independent family company led by the fifth generation of the family, Richard Everard O.B.E.D.L. Stephen joined the board in 2003 and he became the managing director in 2005. He's a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. He places great emphasis on people development to bring the company's derive of tradition with ambition to life. Stephen has worked in the pub and leisure industry for over 20 years in human resources, operational and commercial roles, and pre- was previously with Bass PLC and Punch Taverns PLC, where um, Stephen and I originally met. He has, throughout his career, always been curious about how to connect people Organisations and initiatives into new creative forces, which produce stronger and more sustainable results through interdependencies. He says it's probably due to his sociology degree. That's uh, and that's to blame. So, a big welcome
2: to my guest today, Stephen Gould. Hi, Chris. Hi, Stephen. Uh, pleased to hear you're there. Yes, I'm. I'm here, and uh, thank you for that very kind introduction. You're very welcome. Very welcome. Uh, so, Stephen, shall we start
1: with? You may be sharing a little bit about Everards and perhaps you know, about yourself and how you, how you decided to stay as managing director for eight years because actually today people tend to move around quite a bit, don't they?
2: They, they do. Um, well, Everards is a, is a very proud, independent family business here in the uh, Midlands of uh, the UK, based in Leicester. Um, my boss, the chairman, Richard Everard, as you mentioned, um, is the fifth generation of the family to lead the business, um, which is remarkable after 164 years. And I think it's fair to say that the company has stayed very, very focused during those 164 years in and around the brewery, uh, the brewing of great beers, the operation of uh, the pub estate, and um, also some property interests in the group and that's moved from one generation to the next and uh, i think it's fair to say that um richard would very much regard himself as a custodian of the business Um, he wants to hand it on to his son and daughter in better shape than he picked it up and so on and i think there's a huge difference between out and out ownership and having a, a custodian's mindset um, the In regards to, to myself being managing director for, for eight years, it, it's it's gone by very, very quickly and I have to say uh, I have huge respect for any chief executive or managing director out there who can deliver the job in three years, which appears to be the rotation cycle, because um, I have to say it took me about three to four years to really fully understand what the job was all about, Chris. Mm-hmm.
1: I guess that, I guess that's a little bit like you know, if we look at football in the United Kingdom and some of those people who've led football teams, people like Alice Ferguson and Manchester United, etc. You know, they've been in the job for a long time, haven't they? They really have learnt how to run a, a team and uh, and get to understand the culture, etc. So you know, that makes an awful lot of sense, I think, for people to you know really stay longer and be able to incrementally add
2: more value. Well, something I uh, talk to myself about and and share with the team here at Everards is, say, if somebody has uh, 10 years' experience, um, the one thing to watch is that it's not one year's experience times 10, Mm -hmm. um, that it is genuinely 10 years' experience. And yeah, if you take some sporting analogies, uh, people like Sir Alex Ferguson will have been inspired by the people around him over the 26, 27 years that he was the leader, um, and, and those people, I'm sure, would have helped him to grow as as much as he helped them. Um, so it's very much a, a reciprocal relationship, I think.
1: Mm. And you raise an interesting point there about you know custodianship, and it must feel it must feel perhaps an, you know, an increasing amount of pressure when. You think that there's 164 years of, of heritage. Um, you're starting something for new and from from scratch. You're not kind of letting anybody down, are you?
2: Um, no, there's a. I think you're right. There's a there's a huge sense of um, responsibility and and and, and accountability and, and something that I've noticed in my time at Everard's is that um, the company has an innate ability to attract and keep good people and those people that have stayed with us over many many years I think have a custodian's mindset themselves it's not just Richard and Richard wouldn't want it to be just him Um, he'd very much like his employees and I think he has it to also possess that custodian's view that if you like on their watch they want to add to the legacy so that when they can then look back on their careers, they've really contributed to something that's going to be around beyond their lifetimes and and into new generations of the Everard family.
1: Mm. It must make you very <clears throat> aware of your kind of you know mortality that you know when you see generations of images and like I said, there must be paintings and things like that of earlier family members and just realise that you are you know, it's passing into your hands for a period of time to caretake. A bit like a house, really.
2: It felt like that last night when I was out in trade in Melton Mowbray, which is uh, famous for its Stilton cheese, <laughs> which I'm sure is exported to America amongst other places. Oh, there uh, is as well. I was in one of our pubs, the Anne of Cleves, and there lies the clue in that um, that was a gift from her husband, Henry VIII. And there um, I am having a half a pint in uh, the Anne of Cleves and you really do realise that you, you're passing through and that that's legacy personified if you like
1: yeah
2: so how, how would you d- define a true sort of family business because you're not you're not, a,
1: you're not a, such a, a family member I mean
2: no no um, I mean the, the, the Everard family over many many years uh, to mine and other benefits have, uh, have had a I would say a most enlightened policy in that uh, in any one generation there won't be more than one member of the Everards family in an executive role in the company. So uh, the the, the family wish to attract people from uh, the marketplace to help them to run the business. And I think that, that of course, um, ensures that the equity structure stays firm. Um, It protects against what, some families can do from time to time, which is, which is fall out and have squabbles. Um, but also, any family would be very, very lucky to be able to fill all the key roles in an organization with members from that family. Um, and, and so it's quite an enlightened policy. And, and it means that there's very much a, a team effort then to support the leader. Mm, yes, it makes
1: a makes a lot of sense that, and and I guess it must be quite difficult when you've got people in a family, uh, if particularly if they wanted it to, um, and you've got a business to not em- employ them, but actually the sensible thing, as you say, can make is, is to make sure that you've got the right people in the right roles,
2: the right people in the right roles. But I think a true family business. Um, one can only really test with the audiences that it engages with, from customers through to suppliers and advisors and anybody connected with that company. And when when we've conducted our research over the years, what keeps coming back is at the heart of Everards is a real knowledge that um, it's led by a member of the family in Richard, that it's majority owned By the family, so the economics have to be there as well, Um, and that the people that are not members of the Everards family almost share its values, so that those audiences feel those values coming across and are drawn to it. and And I I think family businesses all over the world really have that fundamental essence. Yes, I
1: remember I I once worked for a, a large very large family business and I can remember a member of a, a, a son of uh, one of the owners of the business was came over from America and he was having a day out in trade. So a friend of mine who was uh, also in the sales team like myself picked him up and this lad turned up in, uh, he, was, he was all dressed up smart and everything to meet the uh, the, the family, um, kind of an heir of the family. And uh, the, the chap turned up in uh, in Bermuda, Shorts, flip flops, and shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just kind of interesting, you know, that uh, that wasn't what he expected. But, but I think maybe the son probably hadn't quite learned all of the values. No, no, he's just learning the ropes. Yeah, the ropes. The ropes. yeah. yeah. It made everybody smile anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, so, what do you think are the key challenges for a small family business? Well, because we're talking here, there's a lot of family businesses within. Within Everard's, who are running yeah, um, the
2: I, I think one of the one of the challenges it's a bit like challenges for 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 individuals is that you have to say stay true to yourself and true to what you believe you're very good at doing, um, rather than going on flights of fancy because then that can confuse the audiences, um, and I think. I think very, very good family businesses tend to be uh, extremely focused, they're very disciplined um, and they tend not to pretend to be something that they're not. So there's a degree of integrity about them um, and of course one of the challenges there is that you you still have to remain alive to opportunities. Um, so. Uh, It's important to communicate out there that this is what we do and why we do it. But something that we've chatted about before, Chris, I I actually think that if you have a very good set of values, and for values read behaviours, so if the individuals in that company behave consistently, that can give the family business a passport, if you like, and an invitation to go and have conversations with people and other organisations to explore how that family business can, can evolve and develop into the future. So remaining focused is good, but it can't be passive. It, it, it has to be active, in my experience, Chris. Mm, but I wonder, I think
1: about my own family and sometimes, and I don't work with my family, but you know, sometimes a, a message delivered from a family member is not always as easy to take if it's a critical one in particular uh, than it is maybe from somebody you're less emotionally involved with. I mean, is that a a factor to consider?
2: It is. I, I remember having Sunday lunch six months ago with my eldest lad George, who's 16, and he was preparing for his GCSE examinations, so pretty key examinations and. Uh, uh, we were having the dad and son chat and uh, I was encouraging him to uh, to perhaps um, focus in and, and work hard and key six months ahead, etc., etc. And he leant back in his chair, Chris, and he said, um, Dad, how did you get on in the same examinations 30 years ago? And I, I shared my results with him and he started to gnaw on one of his roast potatoes and said, well, you needn't worry, I'll do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I think, um, I think all, all families have those very open and honest conversations and um, and that's a healthy thing, it's got to be because um, far better to have your own game plan in order within the company before you start to trade with others or otherwise um, those audiences I mentioned earlier will get very confused very quickly. <laughs>
1: I had the opportunity a few months ago to play a full game of football on the Brentford City football ground that a relative had hired. And, and, I, and I played my heart out. I'm not a footballer, but I've been thinking about it for months. I've been doing a bit of training, got the boots, and I, and I worked so hard at, at it. And I came off the pitch um, feeling really pleased with myself. And I said to, to my son, how do you think I did? Rubbish.
2: <laughs> yes. yes absolutely they're brutal they're brutal and uh, but good good coaches as well yeah <laughs> we've just got a couple of minutes before we go to commercial break but I uh, but I wonder what
1: do you think makes the difference between success and failure for small family businesses
2: um, I, I think I think the difference between them is the, the successful ones understand the value of a pound um, you know it, the, the family legacy is there and it's it, it's important to be sensible with the cash. And if you are going to invest, invest behind talent and ensure that, if you like the corporate governance, Chris, in a family business has to be as tight and as focused and as disciplined as a large FTSE 100 company floated on the London Stock Exchange. Um, So ensuring that there's corporate discipline is important, and I think the other element then is trying one's best to make sure that what the family are looking for from their business and within their business actually translates and lives. Mm. Um, and if you think that it's lived, test it, because it, sometimes family businesses can be can be very friendly, very paternal, very welcoming. But I think it's important to evaluate whether you're having an impact. So the successful ones are always curious. They want to know, how are they making an impact with their customers and with their suppliers and advisors? Are they moving the business forward? So the, the, this curiosity leads to a desire to evaluate. And then, of course, you learn stuff. Um, because if you, if you listen rather than just tell, um, you learn things which then fuels the next stage of that successful business. And um, I think I think those that, that don't perform as well, uh, are, are, clear, are clearly those that somehow along the way perhaps believe their own publicity a bit too much and lose and lose some focus. Excellent. Well we're going to get a commercial break now and um, after the break we'll move into some of the key
1: principles that really make the difference between, you know, merely surviving versus thriving so we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes so do join us again just after the break thank you
2: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
0: would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment, and that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio. Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info, at bemoreachievemore.com that's info at bemoreachievemore.com now back to chris cooper
1: hi this is chris cooper bemoreachievemore.com and cc one consultingcom if you've got any questions or any feedback on the show do send it to me i'd love to hear from you um so i'm, I'm talking with stephen gould of everard's brewery at the moment about how to run successful family businesses and Stephen, I wonder if you look back over your career, what do you think are the key principles that really determine whether a family business dies or merely survives versus thriving? You know, What, what is it for you?
2: Um, I, I, I think for me it's that those businesses that whereby the leadership teams don't believe that they have a monopoly of good ideas. Um, and... Every leadership team I've come across um, can start with perhaps that view and who's to say it's wrong but but how do you go about validating that and I think the really great family businesses are those that uh, consult, involve lots of people from uh, employees to people connected with that family business to effectively ask them, well, what are we doing well and why? And what don't we do so well and why? Um, so every every quarter I spend a wonderful couple of hours with our licensees running our pubs and just ask them those two questions and then listen in. Um, and I think the really good businesses do that um, because why could it be that five or six people sitting on a board would genuinely know that their ideas were the right ideas and therefore should be implemented and and those family businesses in my experience that have lost their way a bit chris are perhaps those that have been too linear in thinking and not shared their plans and ideas with others to in order to then refine them you,
1: you make a interesting point and it's going slightly off uh, piste what, what, what came up for me was uh, if you've ever seen Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares where you get <laughs> Gordon Ramsay going in to sort out a a restaurant that's not performing well and, and quite often the situation is you've got an owner who is um, trying to call all the shots and not calling them very well and not listening it usually comes down to that as the main, main sort of problem
2: it, it, it does and um, yeah I think Co- coaching such a such a key area just, just asking the questions and, and 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 listening and enjoying listening to what what people have to say about the company um, because there are always some nuggets in those kinds of sessions i, I sit with my team senior team with our licensees and 90% of the feedback and comment is from our licensees, the remaining 10% is a set of questions that we're asking. Mm.
1: And, and would you say, I mean, when we, we talked, you had a, a number of key principles that you shared with me, and uh, one of those was philosophy. Is that what you meant by philosophy?
2: Yeah, I think um, our, our chairman and, and the then managing director, uh, Nick Lloyd, who, who worked with Richard for, for 18 years, um, um, wrote a philosophy for the business, um, an abiding mission, if you like, um, back in the late 1980s, and and that's remained with us. And and I think if a business has a philosophy, and in our case, it's about being independent, it's about the ownership and development of freehold property, it's about caring and enjoyable employment, and and making a beneficial contribution. To the communities in which we trade and I think it's important to have some generic reference points um, because over time of course a business evolves and shapes um, to take advantage of the opportunities in the marketplace at that time every business is like that so but you need a reference point and the way we've tried to run it and we're not saying this is the right way but it's a way is to have a very firm Clear philosophy, and then a very, very strict, if you wish, set of values that that we're and for values, as I mentioned earlier, a, a clear group of, of behaviours that really then act as the glue. Because um, if we look ahead twenty years, will it be a certain initiative that people refer to, or will it be? The, the legacy of Everard's being a company that's a good company to do business with. And if you're going to do good business together, then the behaviour has to be right. And, you know, there's lots of management books out there about trust being efficient. And uh, I couldn't agree more. I think if, if you're a trusted partner, then you can achieve lots with whoever you happen to be working with.
1: Mm. We, we, we talked at. Um, uh, we talked about, um, we're talking about values there, which I think are very, very important. And uh, there was something else that really interested me when we, we, we chatted through this. And you, and you came up with something which was called white space. Uh, I just wonder if you could explain <laughs> what you meant by that. I'll try my best.
2: <laughs> uh, the, uh, in, in the UK, the, 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 the pub and the beer market is very, very successful but it's also um, pretty crowded. Um, there are lots of people competing for the same customers. And uh, if you're of a certain size, and you know Everards is cer- certainly not the biggest business in, 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 in the brewing and pub industry in the UK, then I think you've got to be really careful in a crowded space that you don't just try and ape or copy the large players. Um, so you have to go in search of what I would call white space. And that's a space that others haven't populated and that you believe you could create ideas and innovations that, that would then um, generate a point of difference for Everard. So to give an example, um, six years ago, uh, the team and I spotted a couple of trends in the UK market. One was there were lots and lots of pubs closing every week. It coincided with the ban of smoking in public places. And um, upwards to 40 pubs were closing every week. Um, there were about 55,000 pubs in the UK, just to put that into context. Um, and the second theme was, and this has happened over in the American market as well, is the emergence of small craft brewers, um, due to the government introducing at the start of this century a tax break for small brewers. And in the first 10 years of this century, nearly 1,000 small craft brewers have been created in the UK. So where does the white space thinking come into that? Well, we thought maybe those small craft brewers are actually first-generation family brewers, exactly in the same way that William Everard was back in 1849. And maybe, just like William Everard, once they've started to brew great beer, they'd rather like their own pub to sell their beer in. So we set up a little project called Project William because we could see that this wasn't happening anywhere else in the industry. And, and effectively, what we do, Chris, is we we buy one of these closed pubs. Working with the local brewer, we then refurbish the pub, present it back to the community as the local brewer's brewery tap. So the brewer becomes the franchisee of Everards, if you wish. But to the customers going into those pubs, they would see that local brewers beers some of our beer as well but it will be very very much about authenticity and localness so effectively white space comes from identifying trends in a marketplace that initially you think are not connected but then through innovation you create a new model and then present it in the white space which gives a smaller business like us a point of difference um, so to fast forward to today of our 180 pubs, 28 of those pubs are Project William, um, working with 15 craft brewers and many many other individuals committed to to craft ale.
1: fantastic there's something very special as I think isn't there about you know drinking
2: some local ale. Um, very, very much so. and uh, uh, you know local farmers markets, craft brewers have come to the fore and I think customers more and more, Are looking out for authenticity traceability and provenance and um, putting the financials to one side um, it's a huge thrill for all of us in the company to go out there and buy failed pubs and then represent them back to the community as new pins that the community then embrace i mean that that Gives us a huge, a huge thrill, as I say, and it means a great deal to us, and of course our brewer partners.
1: Because
2: mm. be, the pub can be a very, this country can be very
1: the real centre of a community, can't it? Um, and we've, we've we've lost a few, as you say, um, but having having that place to come back to and a place to socialise and and go to, I think, is an important part of our our culture over here.
2: It is, and it's one thing we've noticed. With, the, with these pubs that we've reopened the, the, that were lost to communities is that um, lapsed pub users are now going back to the pub. Um, and we're also seeing that men, women and children are going into these pubs. So I often say that the average pub probably attracts 600 customers a week. Um, but how many occasions does it attract from that eat individual customer, be it a quiet drink with one's wife or a Sunday meal with the kids, it probably attracts two to two and a half thousand different occasions a week. And that's what creates the dynamism of a local pub, I think. Right. Well,
1: just mirroring um, it back to you know, the people listening in right now are thinking, you know, I've, I've got a family business, so I'm thinking about setting up. You know, what Stephen's mentioned three really important things there about. You know, the first one, knowing what your philosophy is, and you know, a recommendation that um, I was on a, a conference a few weeks ago was what some people are doing is actually putting that philosophy into a little video. You know, you should be able to articulate it within three minutes very clearly, and that helps people understand what you're about. Yeah. Um, so I guess getting. Getting members of the family together and getting it being clear about what your philosophy is and what your values are is important. And then, you know, Stephen uh, just made a great example there about if you're a small business, is what is your white space? You know, what is your point of difference, and uh, where can you operate that attracts custom? Um, and I said we certainly found in the you with know, in in the big pub companies, what a lot of them kind of went towards was quite sort of standardisation, wasn't it? With Standardized menus and everything looking very similar. Um, whereas your approach there with William is actually to make things appear local and right for the local environment, I think.
2: It is, and you know, um, I, I've, I've chatted about Everard as a family business, but we are solely dependent upon the success of 180 family businesses, namely our licensees operating within the pubs that we own Um, so they're not employees of Everards Uh, they all lead their own business Uh, we try our very best to support them to be successful if they're successful Everards is fine Um, but Everards won't be fine if they're not (laughs) and um, so it moves from a model where there's a, if you like, a big landlord and, you know, we own the property, therefore, you know, we call the shots and a small tenant. Um, actually, that needs to be flipped in the reverse where the licensee or the franchisee, as, as, as some may know it, um, is actually the customer, is the person leading that business and the landlord is, is, is actually the person supporting them and trying their very best to help them to be successful because then we'll be okay. And, and philosophically, that's important. So, yeah, to those, those people either setting up a family business or, 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 or have one already, uh, m- m- my experience would say be really clear about what you stand for, Um, really clear about what your behaviors are and how you want to interact with your audiences and try one's best to have a have a business that that has a point of difference and and underline a sustainable point of difference i guess making sure
1: that too is that anybody that you've got employed are also operating by those principles and very very clear about them and and what what how, how to translate that into behavior
2: yeah it's um you know, the the team and I have to be a little bit careful when we talk about behaviours because if you're not careful, it can be a little bit teach. You know, mostly we'd like you to behave in this way, which is not terribly natural. Mm. So I think it's important that every organisation, be it a business or anything else, welcomes and embraces diversity and different characters and personalities because that's what creates the energy within within an organisation. But I think there has to be a lateral line. Of that organization interacting with its communities in a consistent way so for us you know we 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 worked there was 43 of us actually seven years ago we, we all sat down employees and said why why are Everards well-regarded um, why was it when we went through the interview process our mums and dads and brothers and sisters said oh why right, if you get into Everards that'd be great <laughs> Um, and, and we all explored it, and we came out with, with five core traits that, um, and the, hence the behaviours: straightforward, supportive, ambitious, responsive, and always, always operating and behaving with with integrity. Um, and are, are they the key five? Um, are there others? There perhaps are, but but. The validity comes from the fact that 43 people employed by Richard, including Richard, within the 43, should I say, all participated in trying to prize those out. We try our best to use those as a reference point.
1: Makes a lot of sense. Well, we're going to go to commercial break again right now. And after the break, we're going to talk about uh, legacy and advocacy and money and things like that. So uh, do stay online on and we're going to have um, some real gems coming for you talk with you about in just a couple of minutes so we'll be back soon
2: from the boardroom
0: to you voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central and Noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused?
2: Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kirk Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business A Great Place to Work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America
0: Business Channel, and enjoy a better workplace and a better life.
1: Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. BeMoreAchieveMore I'm with Stephen Gould. We're talking about how to run successful family businesses. And uh, Stephen, uh, we, we we think we kind of talked a little bit about this, and right in the introduction about this kind of um, you know, the the heritage and everything that uh, Richard and the family have going back all those years, 164 years. How important is legacy and for any business of any any scale and maturity, how, how important is it to think about it with a kind of legacy mindset?
2: I think it's vital, Chris. Absolutely vital. In that, um, be, because most family businesses know that they're going to be handing something on, then well, it's worth asking the question: What, what exactly is it that's going to be handed on? Um, mm. and, and and that's where 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 legacy comes into play. and um if it's inconsistent or or if there's fragmentation in a business then there lies some of the problems with genuinely moving through a very very firm uh, legacy business um, and you you look at some of the very very successful uh, businesses I think of uh, JCB uh, the excavation company uh, based in Staffordshire uh, that's a a second-generation family business, a worldwide leader, but it's still very, very much got that legacy that's, that's about quality and innovation and R&D. And and so um, it's always tempting, isn't it, to be a little bit scatty, perhaps, to try and take on the next fashionable initiative. Um, but I think it's important just to have that focus and the discipline. Um, I, I read the uh, the Good to Great uh, book by Jim Collins um, uh, over the Christmas holiday period. I have such fun at Christmas, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I, I was reading that and, you know, what comes through is that uh, resilience and discipline and humility are what good businesses are about. And I think they fuel legacy, really. Mm. Excellent. Um, when, when we
1: talked, you said it was in. A- it was to plan the show you said it was important to establish the reason why so you know how does that differ to philosophy and values and what did you mean by that
2: yeah um we we, we did some work as a team uh, we still do a few years ago with with a chap called andy gilbert from uh a company called go make a difference and um and andy had conducted some research in the 1990s about Really, with with successful people, asking them why they've been successful. And one of the themes that came out was that successful folk tend to spend quite a lot of time establishing the key reason for why they're planning to do something. Yeah. Um, and as a team in Everards, we realised that there were one or two initiatives that we'd just gone off to do because you know it felt busy busy and dynamic if you like but the reality was somewhat different because we not really spent time as a team assessing well why are we doing it what's the primary reason before we then press on with lots of work be it commitment to building teams or spending lots of money at initiatives and so what what we try and do as a team is have that go mad language in the business that says well I have a very clear reason for what you're trying to do if the reason's strong, then involve other people to make it stronger. Explore lots of possibilities before you start on anything. In other words, lots of planning and preparation before you press on with the action. Yeah,
1: yeah, makes makes a, a lot of sense. And then another point you made to me, me was about advocacy.
2: Um, what do you mean by advocacy? Uh, what I mean by advocacy is um, not having a large marketing budget. <laughs> <laughs> um, the... No, it, 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 in all seriousness, Chris, what what happens there is, and it, it, it of course is connected to values, is if you're out there working with licensees um, or with other brewers or with other pub companies that we're selling our beer to, whatever we happen to be doing out there, um, if actually folk think that the individuals in Everards and the Everards company as a whole good people to deal with then frankly they'll tell all the folk Um, and yeah, the Project William scheme I mentioned earlier we haven't spent one pound on advertising Project William in the last six years not a pound Um, we've attended one or two conferences and shared the stories but uh, effectively it's been one brewer chatting to another and with the remainder of our licensed estate what tends to happen is it's a licensee or a franchisee sharing their stories and hopefully their good experiences with us, with others. And so what an organisation can do then is is create advocates. Some people that you know are advocates and some who you don't, but that's okay. And and I think obviously social media takes things on to a different level in that area. But um, we're huge believers in, in having advocates because... We're, we're not a huge organisation, we have just over 100 employees and then of course, indirectly, we're connected to three or 4,000 people who are employed within our pubs. Um, so there's a community there, but there are so many other communities that are attached to a business. And if you can tap into those communities as, as advocates, then it builds a real strength in depth.
1: You, you've got a to... You've got a concept, another concept, which is about bakery, um, the <laughs> artisan bakeries. Do you want to explain what that... Well, I guess that was more white space, but do you want to explain
2: that? Yeah, it, it was some white space, and we we set up another project. I'm, I always tend to set something up and call it a project when you're not quite sure what it's all about. So uh, there, there, there's a tip. If you're not sure, just call it a project. Um, anyway, Project Artisan was, was set up, which was about seeking to attract talented people who make things in the food and drink space. Um, and, of course, that then talks to and connects with with pubs and lots of other things. And um, so a few years ago, um, specifically three years ago, I had a chat with the Real Bread campaign and said, I'm, I'm quite keen to work with an artisan baker in the Midlands. So they introduced mm-hmm. me, you wouldn't believe it, to Tom Baker the baker, <laughs> um, who had been... Baking and selling what he baked, and teaching from home for four years, and he wanted to move into uh, premises for the first time. So, uh, a brewer from a a managing director from a brewer called him. So he didn't quite understand why that was happening, and said, "Well, could we meet?" Anyway, uh, we met, got on very well, and we bought a building similar to the way we bought a closed pub. We bought a derelict building which is now a thriving artisan bakery and teaching school. And, of course, we're learning lots from Tom and sharing those learnings with our licensees. Um, But I remember being very straight-laced with Tom, saying, you know, have you got the money to invest in your business? And he said, well, I need £30,000 and I've got £6,000. Oh, jeez. So how are you going to handle that? Are you having to go to the bank? I said, no, 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 no. I've raised the 24. Well, where have you raised that from? I said, well, 24 people in my local community have given me £1,000 each and I've guaranteed them a 6% return on their money. Uh, continued on the business financing chat and said, well, 6% is quite a lot. Can you afford it? Uh, and Tom said, no, no, no. Uh, the 6% will be paid back to them in bread, not money. <laughs> <laughs> so you know you, you go and the theme there is by going into communities that you believe you can't connect with but actually by being curious and going to have a chat you pick up all sorts of themes and nuggets that then can come back to the core business to help it to evolve and grow
1: mm. what a great idea so about by, by the time it's uh uh, his, uh, his so in terms him it's actually probably 3% or something 4% well,
2: well, yeah, exactly and he's, he's, he's built the community with him um, people from across the country uh, his business is called loaf.com um, business uh, people from across the country are going to his bakery in Birmingham and learning how to bake learning how to forage um, and it all comes back again to people making things mm. and what we'll be increasingly doing over the years is continuing to connect with people who make things that then may wish to retail what they make in buildings that we own. So uh, that's where a project artisan, actually when you work it through, is not too far away from a Project William or any other projects that that will come up in the future. Sure, sure. Well, I know you
1: take self-development really seriously. Have you got any... Um, you know, sort of tips or thoughts based upon how you've gone about building the knowledge and skills that you've needed to operate at the level that you do.
2: Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm mid-40s now, Chris. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I look back to my 20s, working for a cracking organisation in Bass, um, basically I thought that I could uproot trees and that anything that came my way I could, I could address. Um, but I have to say, I was hopefully most of the time unconsciously competent, but I wasn't very conscious. And uh, so I think the first tip that I'd share on self-development is is to know yourself and be true to yourself. Um, don't try and pretend to be anybody that you're not. Um, try your best to invest in your own personal brand. Um and I remember an article you shared with me four or five years ago, which was titled Managing Your Energy and Your Time. Uh, I think if you're fresh and alert, then you'll be receptive to development opportunities. But if you're shattered and you're filling every hour of the day doing and not thinking, then uh, that can feel dynamic at times. But I think ultimately is quite erosive. So for me, I'd say know yourself yourself um and be true to yourself and manage your energy um as well as your time
1: i guess i know, I know something you've you've been taken sort of very seriously over your time as well as kind of mentors and i know that you mentioned to me the value that your relationship with richard so we only got about a minute to left now that richard has had with you but um you know, finding good mentors is a,
2: a good thing it, it's a it's a fabulous thing and then and and mentors can arise in one's career from from all sorts of of quarters and uh the relationship with that richard and i have is is a very deep one um we work at it we we have lots of chats and i learn lots and and hopefully richard does as well it's reciprocal and shared but there are always people out there willing to help and um Mentoring sounds sometimes like a scary subject, but I don't think it is. I think it's just listening to somebody um, that you trust and, and respect, uh, and, and there lies the opportunity to build upon upon those conversations. Sure. So do you have any key messages you'd like to leave us with? I think key message would be, what's your personal brand? Um, once you are true to yourself, you'll connect with organisations that match that brand and hopefully both will nourish each other. And final comment is nobody's got a monopoly of good ideas. So consult widely and, and listen and demonstrate to whoever you're listening to that you've heard them.
1: Great, Stephen. Thank you very much for joining me. I hope you've enjoyed being on the show. Very much so. Thanks for the invitation, Chris. You're very welcome. So for more information on Everards, you can go to www.everards.co.uk. That's E-V-E-R-A-R-D-S.co.uk. If you've got any questions or feedback, please send them to me at Chris at BeMoreAchieveMore.com. I'll leave them on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash BeMoreAchieveMore. Next week's show is about going global with digital media. And I'll be joined by Dave Sharp and Peter Daly-Dixon, Um, who are the founders of Small Business Owner International, a successful boutique publishing house producing a range of digital magazines and resources for you. Um, They're also the owner of a small small business uh, magazine, and uh, that's actually a magazine that publishes this show. Um, in it each edition we'll also discuss learning from my own radio show which is now accessed in over 50 countries around the world so I've had a lot of learnings during the uh, nearly 100 shows now so I'm going to share some of those learnings with you as well and, and help you extend your reach and elevate yourself through digital media so we look forward to speaking with you next week and uh, thanks again to, uh, to Stephen Gould of Everard's Brewery Limited <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to be more achieve more please join your host chris cooper again next friday at 8 a.m u.s pacific time typically 4 p.m london on the voice america business channel enjoy your week